This is an MVP podcast, My Village Productions. Welcome to Unsolved America, a show where we explore unsolved mysteries throughout the United States. I'm your host, Tiffany. And I'm your host, Andy, and each week we will throw a dart at the map and wherever it lands is the location of our mystery. This week, I landed on Minnesota. Minnesotas! I have never, personally, I have never been to Minnesota. I've never, no. I don't know if I want to. It sounds cold. Well, yeah, it is cold. It's like right up there next to Canada. Oh, yeah. I was like, don't judge me. Don't second guess me. No, I was trying to picture the little man. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) You and your little man. I know. (laughs) So (laughs) the case um, I have chosen to talk about today actually is one of Terry Brisk. Okay. This case leaves a lot of questions unanswered, obviously. Unsolved America. That's why we're here. But it's just it's just really frustrating for the family involved. It was um, somewhat recently. It was back in 2016. No, no. With the lack of eyewitnesses in this case, we really are left to just like hypothesize like on our own who exactly shot this father of four. <sighs> yeah. Um, so had this been just like a normal day for Terrence Terry Brisk, mm-hmm. um, we're going to call him Terry for the rest of the uh, podcast here. But that is his full name. Terrence Brisk. Okay. What happened to Terry? So it was Monday, November 7th, 2016. Like I said, had this been like a normal day, he would have gotten up in the morning and gone to work. However, the day was unseasonably warm for mm-hmm. November in Minnesota. And so what, like uh 32? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> and rifle deer hunting season had just begun two days prior. Yeah. That happens in November. So Terry decided to call into work and he asked for the day off. And according to his parents, Francis and Virgil Brisk, Francis goes by Babe, which I thought that was a fun nickname. (laughs) According to them, Terry's foreman agreed to let him have the day off. And then Terry just, just went out hunting on the edge of his family's property. Terry's oldest brother, his name is Jay, spoke to him earlier that Monday morning and stated that Terry sounded extremely tired. Mm hmm. And he later he goes on to explain that Terry had spent several hours overnight tracking a deer that his wife, Pam Brisk, had shot earlier that day. Just waiting for it to die. Yeah. So he was a little tired. Mm-hmm. But like also like I was I looked at the map for this and his parents property is like massive. I feel like Minnesota just has big acreage. Mm-hmm. It kind of. Okay. So their property kind of looks like New Mexico if New Mexico is flipped upside down. Oh, okay. So it kind of has like a, it's shorter at the top, comes down, and then it gets wider, and it's like rectangular mm-hmm. on the bottom. So he was in like the bottom, if you're looking, he was at like the southeast corner of their property. Okay. If you're just looking at the picture. I don't know if that's actually directionally correct. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, just to give you some context, there was like a little group of forests there. And he decided that's where he was going to sit for hunting season was he was going to sit there and that's where he was going to find deer. I do not have the patience. Me neither. It seems very boring. I mean, it's like fishing. Right. You just have to wait. Right. So (laughs) that's just the spot that he chose. So he at some point wandered down there, set himself up. He was going to catch some deer, catch some deer. He was going (laughs) to shoot some deer. (laughs) 
And all of this is on his parents' property, so it's not public. Uh-huh. It's private property. So realistically, there shouldn't be anybody around. Right. I mean, don't come onto my property. Right. This was the first year that Terry hunted in this like specific spot. And he but he really knew that land like intimately, like he was always working on that land mm-hmm. throughout his life. In fact, he had he had actually grown up working in like the gravel pit that used to they used to have sand and gravel there. And his family owned that as well, obviously. Mm-hmm. But that's where he grew up. So he and that was directly across from the forest that he was at. So mm-hmm. he definitely knew like lay of the land. It wasn't like he was out in the wilderness and got lost, right? Like right. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, the uh the gravel pit. It served as the site for his wedding to Pam Brisk in 2001. I'm just imagining just like a gravel pit. I, I mean, I, yeah, like. But it, but thankfully, like, if you think about it, so like there's the gravel pit mm-hmm. and then it backs up into a forest. I guess that could be a pretty backdrop. Yeah. And well, I imagine the gravel pit in my mind would be perfect to set up some chairs. Yeah. It's like flat usually. Yeah. To each his own. That same afternoon, uh, Virgil and Babe drove from their home uh, north of Little Falls to an assisted living facility in nearby Piers, where they so they they drove down there to visit Virgil's sister, and they wanted to deliver just some like appropriate clothing for the weather. Because, mm-hmm. like I said, it gets cold. Cold. On the way home, the couple stopped at the pit, which I guess is typical. Like if they leave the property, like. They just come back and check on everything, like make sure everything's good. Yeah, I mean, that's nice. Right. And I feel like if you have acreage, I feel like you do have to like constantly check to make sure that like things are okay. There's, <laughs> There's not like no... people wandering on your property. Random forest fires. Right. Exactly. I don't understand that. Live in a very condensed neighborhood. <laughs> so while visiting the pit, they they spotted Terry's truck. And so then they just kind of inferred that. He must be out here hunting. Mm-hmm. And what they ended up doing was um, once they spotted his truck, they're like, OK, we need to leave so that we're, we don't scare off any deer mm-hmm. if he's out here hunting. So they kind of cut their their trip to check on everything a little short and they just went back to their home. Yeah. Headed west on 168th Street, the Brisks saw the school bus dropping off their grandchildren. Terry and Pam's oldest son, 15 year old Jonathan Brisk ran inside to change into his hunting clothes and would soon be uh, dropped off by Pam to join his dad in the woods. Okay. Jonathan said that he ended up setting up in a ground blind. I don't know what that means. (laughs) I'm assuming it's like somewhere in the ground where he's hidden. (laughs) Yeah, I would assume. I don't know if it's like a little like ditch or like what, but. Like in World War II, those ditches that you just. Hi. I'm not a hunter. <laughs> no. I don't know how this works. Hunter people, I'm sure, understand what a ground blind is. <laughs> hunter people. <laughs> um, and there he he sat and he waited for conditions to become a little more favorable for spotting a deer, mm-hmm. which also don't know what that means. I what mean, is favorable conditions for hunting deer? Like I mean, the wind blowing the right way so they don't like smell you? <laughs> maybe or just like dusk or dawn when they like when they come out yeah when they're trying to look for food and grazing fair that's true didn't think that they always come out at night sneaky little guys (laughs) (laughs) i love when you just stare at me with like blank eyes you're like 
Uh-huh. He just said that. Uh, <laughs> because you can't see like the actions you do at the same time. <laughs> so <clears throat> while he was sitting there waiting, he wasn't sure where his dad was exactly. So he sent him a few text messages, just letting Terry know where he was. So if a deer were to appear in the nearby field, both brisks wouldn't be aiming for the same animal. Smart. Smart. You don't want to accidentally shoot somebody. Especially your father or child. Right. So, and this is where it gets kind of weird because Jonathan does recall that as he was sending text messages, he could hear his dad's phone going off. So he kind of inferred that his dad must be nearby, Mm -hmm. but just didn't want to like reveal himself in case like a a deer were to like come, right? Right. (laughs) So, so Jonathan assumed that like his dad was either coming closer to him or that his dad just like was nearby. But then he he kind of stood up after a while and like looked around mm-hmm. and realized that something was wrong because he saw his dad's body laying on the ground, obviously. So after discovering the body, um, he slowly approached it just to like kind of double check. But like he saw like the bright orange that he was wearing and mm-hmm. he, he realized that it was his dad. So he ended up calling his mom, who then called 911 and a neighbor who once worked as a first responder. That's convenient. It is. This is in those moments leading up to like when the police and everybody arrive. I guess Jonathan was trying to piece together what happened. Mm-hmm. He said that he was just in a lot of shock. And the rifle that, that his dad used had a hair trigger on it. I don't know what a hair trigger is. I feel like I should have done a little bit more research <laughs> on hunting before I did this. Hair trigger is like, I know that one. It's like very touchy. Um, So. Okay. Oh, and he, he goes on to explain in this. This is like a an interview that mm-hmm. I'm pulling us information from. It said that you, if you bumped it wrong, it, it could go off. Mm-hmm. Fix your gun. What? Is that normal? Well, it's because I think that like... You want it to be sensitive? You want it to be sensitive so it like triggers right away when you touch it. So... Got it. Instead of having okay. to pull it's not like, all the way down. Got it. It's not like it's malfunctioning. Yeah. you. It's meant to be that yeah. way. Yeah. God, it's more for hunting, like I said, because I mean, when you want to go, you want to go like if you're trying to get a bird in the sky or you have like literally like a split second to like get your Mm -hmm. prize (laughs) prize bull. Mm -hmm. When the sheriff's office responded, they ended up taking Jonathan aside and immediately started questioning him. Of course, he's the only one there. Yeah, Um, they Stripped him of his bloodied hunting clothes from the deer he'd shot two days earlier. Um, and they confiscated his gun, which I think is obviously they they need to rule him out as like if this was an accident or if he's like not telling the truth. But I don't Wait. know why like a 15 year old child would. OK, so like he, he wore the same clothes back yeah. out. OK, yeah. at the Morrison County Courthouse in Little Falls, Babe, an election judge for the following day's presidential election, was picking up ballots and supplies when she got when she got a call from her husband Virgil, mm-hmm. and Virgil told her to call Terry's daughter Frances Brisk, who was upset. Rightfully so. Yeah. When she called, Frances said, "Grandma, something something terrible's happened. Hmm. Nobody will tell me what's going on. I just know it's something really bad, and somebody got hurt." Babe then left the courthouse and drove to the pit where she said sheriff deputies tried to stop her from getting closer as she was trying to explain that this is this is her property. Right. <laughs> this is my land. You're a guest on my land. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And she said when she approached, she all she could hear was her grandson, John, crying. Mm-hmm. And she got out of her car and started running toward him. And she more or le- like she more or less like shoved the deputy out of the way. Grandma's throwing bows. Yeah, absolutely. It's just moms in general. Yeah, the mama bears. Like yeah. Once she figured out what what had happened to Terry, I guess Babe was really adamant about wanting to be allowed to see the body. Yeah, that's understandable though. I think that any most people want to confirm confirm and have that closure. Yeah. So Babe was just pleading with the chaplain to allow her to go into the woods with him to see the body. The deputy said no. Like, nobody else is allowed in the woods except for the chaplain. Mm -hmm. They were only going to allow the priest to go to the body. Which, okay. (laughs) uh, Last rites, if they're Catholic. I mean, right there. They are Catholic because it was a priest from St. Joseph's Catholic Church. (laughs) But, like, right, I mean... You're technically supposed to relieve your, you're supposed to receive your last right um, before you die. And so in Catholic church, it is pretty important to them that that gets done as soon as possible. Because if you don't receive that sacrament, you could potentially go to hell. Okay. So it is an important sacrament in the Catholic church to have your last it's right. not last rites. <laughs> I forget what it's called. I used to be Catholic. <laughs> Technically still am. Um, babbling. So then that's when they decided, that's when they started moving the body out of um, the woods. <clears throat> and he was in kind of like a long station wagon is what she said. Mm-hmm. It's like a hearse, I imagine. And finally they, they let her walk up to the station wagon and all she could see is through the windows um, and she could see him lying with his boots up in the air so what the family just wasn't aware of at the time though is at this time I, I think everybody th- believes that this is just a hunting accident mm-hmm. something went wrong while he was hunting mm-hmm. I mean this all kind of turns very quickly to he was murdered after they start examining the body mm. one of the things that I thought was interesting with this is that um, Terry's rifle was missing. Just like gone? Yeah. It was nowhere near the body. Mm-hmm. And that is when they ended up getting the Minnesota Bureau of Criminal Apprehension and the FBI in on the case because they realized that this definitely has the potential to be a homicide. Right. Because if it had just been an accident, his gun should have just been sitting right next to him. Yeah, definitely. It was at this point that Sheriff Larson and his deputies locked down the scene completely. Mm-hmm. They ended up bringing in some canines to do weapon search. And then he ended up following up with like the local fire departments and they gathered volunteers and they ended up pushing the property to try and find the weapon. And they, this quote just made me laugh because Sheriff Larson says, we knew, we knew it was significant because there's not very many hunters that go out on a property during deer hunting season and they don't bring a weapon. It just it makes sense to me because it's like if that's what you're doing and that's like clearly that's what he was doing. He was in his like hunting gear. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, he was clearly out there hunting. And then we have the evidence that he had called out of work that day so that he could go hunting. Right. Like we knew that's what he was doing all day. Yeah. Where's the rifle? (laughs) Maybe he was trying to get like caveman and have a knife and. Right. 
kill this deer with my bare hands. <laughs> Terrifying. So it wasn't until a year later that it was announced that they had found the rifle. Oh, wow. It was described as finding a needle in the haystack, and they believed it was the weapon that was used to shoot Terry. To this day, they still have not shared where they found the gun. Oh, really? Yeah. Why? I mean, it must be important to the investigation. I mean, obviously, yeah. If they have suspects in mind. That's crazy. Yeah. they're And they're keeping a lot of their cards to their chest with this. Once again, this is pretty recent. Mm-hmm. So this is definitely still under investigation. But this kind of puzzle, you don't really know what what you're going to find, right? Like, right. So they, they definitely try to keep, limit the information that they give to the public, which mm. is good. I mean, it's frustrating not, for the family, yeah. but yeah, definitely. So the biggest puzzle piece that they're missing right now are eyewitnesses, because to their knowledge, he was supposed to be out there alone and it was private property. So there, it's weird, too, when you look at the map, I'll sh- I'll show you the map after the after on recording where he was, was kind of right at the intersection of two streets, which one's again, it's probably pretty rural. So there's probably not a lot of traffic per se, but it is possible that somebody could have seen or heard something had they been driving by. Well, you know what I think also is when you have that big of a land or property, mm-hmm. no one's going to know that it's actually just your property. This is where it starts, this line. True. I mean, unless you have like a fence. Yeah, but most people don't have a fence like that. And I think they do because I remember they... The wood, the wood, the gravel road that was sort of next to where they were that leads up to the pit mm-hmm. um, is gated, which I guess that doesn't mean that there could be a fence. I guess they could just put two posts on either side of the of the road and close open yeah. and close the I gate. Mean, having a specific road. Sure. Like, yeah, that can be. Especially gated. if it's gated. Yeah. Like, but that, like that should tell you that this is somebody's property. Yeah, but knowing that, like whatever like um half a block up the road that's still someone's property yeah to the right like yeah. instead of just some random woods yeah or forest like who who's gonna know and if it's hunting season people are just gonna walk mm-hmm. where they think deer are gonna be true so there is one site that they have an interest in in the area and there's actually a cell tower located on the eastern edge of the wooded area at the end of the short gravel like road. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sheriff Larson said it is possible that the suspect parked here because it's pretty hidden away from the county highway. Mm-hmm. And he really wants he's really asking people to like really reach into your memories and try to try and remember if you drove by, by that area, if you saw like a car parked on the side of the road or just something that seemed out of place mm-hmm. and whether or not like you saw something that was suspicious or not. Right. The evidence that was gathered by law enforcement and the information that they gained from Terry's autopsy revealed that Terry had died from blood loss, which indicates, I guess that whoever shot Terry was in close proximity. And there was no plan for anyone to be with him except mm-hmm. for the child. Right. And it sounded like that was probably like their normal thing during during hunting season. Like they th- his son would get off from school and then he'd probably go join his dad and mm-hmm. hunt in the in the evening. It seems like like just like Jonathan's like actions like that's it seemed like that was just normal to them. Yeah. I mean, especially during hunting season. Right. So there are two suspect theories that I guess hold the most like relevancy in this case. Mm-hmm. They are speculating that Terry 
might have gotten into a confrontation with a trespasser or the suspect was actually a friend of Terry's. Yeah. And it was like he it was somebody that he wouldn't have thought twice about leaving his weapon with like unattended. Right. I guess my question is like, and obviously we don't know this because they're keeping everything close to their chest. Yeah. Yeah. Close to their chest is was there any defensive marks on him? Were there any like bruising or stuff like that during the autopsy that they can right say he was in a struggle right i don't believe so the autopsy report that I, or the reports that i was reading it just sounds like it was the gunshot wound and that was it that that was really all that there was or maybe that was all they were focused on i'm sure they looked for other stuff but if somebody shoots you from behind too yeah but to actually get the gun like you said that was mm-hmm. his that was probably right next to him right it's would probably be very hard for someone to sneak up behind you, steal the gun, right? shoot you. That's true. Without any sort of struggle, unless he was sleeping or... Right, right. So I guess it wasn't unusual for Terry to regularly, conf- or to just to confront trespassers. Like, he wasn't shy about it. Yeah. And it does say here that that is something that happened frequently at the gravel pit, specifically. So both Jonathan and his grandparents stated that the biggest reason people were trespassing or would trespass on their property was actually to like pick rocks from the gravel pit. Oh, yeah. They said they would often go rock picking. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but <laughs> maybe it had really cool colored rocks. Right. So the other theory was that somebody, it was somebody that it was close to. And this is one that, his family is obviously like, obviously they're like, no, like it couldn't be anybody that we know, right? Yeah. Which. Never know. Yeah. And they, I guess when they, when interviewed, they asked about the possibility um, of somebody close to Terry doing this to them. And they said nobody would do that to him. So there aren't any. So that's, and that's pretty much it. So there, they did, they did find a description of a blue van, mm-hmm. I think within the past year or two that was seen in the area around the time that he would have been out there. Mm-hmm. That was something big. So they put out a quest for information on that for any tips of people with light blue vans. Yeah. Um, so they've been getting a lot of tips from that recently. So hopefully something pans out from that. But that is pretty much it. We don't really know what happened to him. And it's all shrouded in mystery. I mean, he was just out there hunting, supposed to be alone. Mm-hmm. On his own property. On his own property. And his son ended up finding his body in the field. Like, and that's, and that's, that's pretty much it. And what's I think what the saddest thing to me is in an article they wrote, um, I was reading two days prior to this, he had he was helping his parents unload this um, like marble slab. Mm-hmm. I think it was marble or granite um, that they were going to use for their own headstones. One day they were like preparing it like they had bought the rock and they were going to like mm-hmm. engrave it. It ended up being Terry's. Oh, that's sad. Found the gun. Don't know where. And that's it. Don't have any suspects. They got that light blue van. That's yeah. it. <laughs> so they barely have anything to go on. Yeah. But that is uh, Terry Brisk. Mm, poor Terry. For any inf- uh, anybody with information, reach out to the Minnesota Police Department. Um, I will get the I'll put the that information on the website as well with the picture of the van. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Unsolved America. Head on over to Facebook and Instagram and follow us at Unsolved America MVP. And be sure to subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast platform. If you need to contact us, please email unsolvedamericamvp at gmail.com, and we'll talk to you next week. This has been an MVP podcast, My Village Productions. 